we've become so dependent on uh, the internet I don't know uh, if the power would ever go out for a week or two we'd all be in a lot of trouble <laughs> I told Shane uh, I couldn't even print my notes out because the internet was down and this crazy uh, copier that we got now it's like hooked up to the computer through some wireless thing and without the internet you can't even use the printer on that thing I said get behind me Satan this thing ain't working right um, if you've got your Bibles turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 we're going to continue our study uh, the more things change the more they stay the same we've come a long way in 1 Corinthians Paul introduces himself and then begins to talk about divisions and problems uh, in the church, how some are lifting up others and uh, they're playing favoritism in the church. We've talked about uh, immorality in the church. We talked just a couple of weeks ago about liberty in the church. And tonight we're going to be talking about crossing that line of liberty. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 beginning at verse Number one, the Bible records these words. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he stand take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we've opened up your word and read it. Father, we pray tonight that as we gather as your people, that this word would sink way down in us. God, you told us your word is a sword, it's sharp pierces even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And God, that's what we ask from you tonight, that your word, that sword, would pierce deep. Father, divide us and show us what needs to be gotten rid of. Let, may it be the surgeon's scalpel uh, that does the operation that you want to do. And Father, help us to be willing uh, in that process. In Jesus' name, amen. Any of you in here that has children, uh, you know how different they can be, right? I mean, it's amazing how children raised in the same home with the same parents can be radically different. Uh, 
Dakota was able to come here tonight with uh, with Jamie, and uh, Dakota was one of those kids that you know you say Dakota don't go play in the street, and you know what he would do? He wouldn't go play in the street. Montana was kind of about half, you know. He'd say Montana don't go play in the street, and you know you might every now and then catch him. But I'm gonna tell you what, little Miss Madison. You say, Madison, now there's cars out there in the road. Don't you go playing out in the road. And you know what she'd do? She'd walk up to the edge of that road, if nothing but for spite, and stick her foot over that white line into the road, looking around. Now, we laugh about that. But in some ways, that's kind of how we are with God. I mean, he, he lays these boundaries, and we know that those boundaries are always for our good. They're never to keep us from enjoying life, but to protect us from what God knows could possibly harm us in this life. But oftentimes, we're like Madison. We want to walk up to that line and just stick our foot over, just to kind of test the waters. And that's what we're going to be talking tonight a little bit about, is those boundary lines, and in these uh, passage, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you know, Paul's writing here, and we just got through talking about Christian liberty. And you know that he said over there that yes, we have uh, liberty uh, in Christ. Uh, he talks about eating meat or what we may drink, and that even though we have Christian liberty, that ought to be trumped by Christian love. Meaning when liberty and 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 love seemingly come into conflict, then love ought to win out. So if I've got a brother that's tempted in some way that may not eat meat or, or in, in any area of life, I may have liberty to do that thing, but if it would cause my brother or my sister to stumble or to fall, then love is to be my guide. Remember, we called them gray areas. And in those gray areas, we all let love win out and so that our brother and, or our sister... Uh, could be lifted up. Well, here Paul kind of extends that same uh, thought, moving into chapter number 10, uh, but he uses examples from the Old Testament. And he talks about those lines. He's going to give us a warning from that generation that uh, wandered in the wilderness uh, about not crossing over those lines uh, that he set for us for our own protection. Many of those people who made up that wilderness generation, they only not did, they didn't just do a Madison and walk up to the line and put their foot over the line, but many of them just blatantly disregarded the line and stepped out in the middle of the road. Uh, you ever been going to a stop sign or a stoplight? And, and I'm bad for this. Uh, you know, when you enter an intersection, there's normally that those two big white lines right there that where people walk in the intersection, Right? And you're not supposed to go, go past that because people are walking in them. But what do we always do? We'll pull right up in that thing, sometimes past that thing, uh, just to test the waters. We like to cross the line. So tonight, that's what we're going to talk about for just a few minutes, crossing uh, that line. Warnings from this wilderness generation. Uh, God gives us several principles when it comes to crossing that line. Number one, past blessings are no guarantee of future blessings. We should not take the privileges God gives us for granted. The first four verses give us a history lesson of 
the people of Israel, how God blessed the people of Israel, how He delivered them from bondage in Egypt. And five times in these first four verses, we see the word all. All were baptized in Moses. All did eat. All did drink. And so we see that word all, that God blessed all the people of of Israel that he had delivered from bondage. But we need to understand that those past blessings are no guarantee of future blessings. And because of that, we should not take our privileges for granted. You see, they had privileges, those people of Israel. They experienced God's power. Look what it says in verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I will not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. You see, the, the children of Israel had privileges that nobody up until that time had ever had. Well, what were those privileges? Well, they were down in Egypt in bondage. That doesn't sound too good, being down there in bondage. Pharaoh's running things. Pharaoh's ruling things. And they're uh, basically slaves to him. So what privileges did they have? Well, God had promised them, remember over there in Genesis, that they'd be in bondage down there in Egypt for 430 years, but he would raise up a deliverer at the appointed time. And when he did that, he would deliver them from the bondage down in Egypt. Well, 430 years passed. Joseph's dead. He's off the scene. And God does exactly what he said he'd do. There's a little baby boy born named Moses. Now, we know the miraculous circumstances that Moses was born in. Children of Israel didn't know all that. They were uh, kind of uh, ignorant of that. Some of them may have knew. I guess Moses' mama knew and all that, but it wasn't that widespread. But Moses grew up and became a man. And, of course, you know he slew the Egyptian and he had to go off in the desert. And God said, hey, what are you doing out there in the desert? You need to come back and do what I called you to do. And Moses goes back there and he tells the people, it's time to get out, get out of here. We're going to do something about this. So what does he do? He goes before Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, right? And Pharaoh said, I'm not going to let your people go. And Moses said, oh, yes, you will, because God's going to make you let our people go. So what? The plagues of Egypt. I mean, those people down there in Israel, they saw that. They witnessed that. They saw God literally turn the, the Nile River into blood. They saw the frogs. They saw the darkness. They saw the fire come down from heaven. They saw literally the firstborn of the children of Israel in one night as the death angel passed through Egypt. Uh, they saw all of those children fall over dead. But not only that, they experienced another miracle. While all of those firstborn children down in Israel were dying, their firstborn children were staying alive. Why? Because they had took the blood, just like God had said. They had put that blood over the doorpost, and a miracle took place. While everybody was dying, their children lived. Uh, lived. It got even better than that. So the next day, Pharaoh said, Well, I can't take this no more. I've got to do something. Get up and get out of here and take whatever you want with you. So they left. And they started down. Well, Pharaoh, he got to thinking about that thing like we always do. You ever heard that story about the highway patrolman stopping that man? And he walks up to the window and he starts having it back and forth with the fellow that's driving. There's a passenger sitting over there in the passenger seat. And, uh, you know, he's kind of smarting off at him. But the highway patrolman, he's going to smart off back. And he does exactly that. And he writes him a ticket. And he's not nice when he does it. And he hands the ticket. He said, one more thing. And he walks around the car and he asked the passenger to roll down the window. And the passenger rolled down the window and he just reached in and smacked a fool out of him. He said, what'd you do that for? He said, I just knew when you got about 10 miles down the road, you'd have told the driver, 
he would, if he'd have talked to me like that, I'd have done A, B, and C. I was going to solve that thing. Ain't, ain't that how we're like all the time, though? I mean, we'll let something go, and then we'll get to thinking about that thing. Well, that's what happened to Pharaoh. I mean, he saw God work and God move, and then he got to thinking about that thing, and he said, no, I'm not going to let this stand. I'm going to do something about it. So he got his army together, and he sends his army after the children of Israel, and the next thing you know, here they are, Pharaoh's army behind them, the Red Sea in front of them, and they've got nowhere to go. And you know the story. Moses takes that staff. It wasn't a staff. It was the God that had given the staff to Moses. But Moses takes that staff, and I mean the Red Sea parts, and the children of Israel go through on dry ground. Pharaoh's army starts chasing them into the Red Sea, and the next thing you know, that thing closes up, and they're gone. That's the privilege that the children of Israel saw. That's what... Paul is writing here that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They had the privileges of seeing the power of Almighty God. But not only that, they had the privilege of uh, the presence of Almighty God. Look what the Bible says here in verse 2. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now what's that mean? I'm going to tell you, that right there is not obvious on its face what exactly the Bible's saying there. But let me explain it to you like this. Okay, the children of Israel needed someone to be an intermediary, an intercessory between them and God. So Moses had direct access to God. And the children of Israel could go to Moses, who would then go to God... And through Moses, the children of Israel had access to the presence of God. All were baptized unto Moses in the cloud, in the sea. Just like today. Do you know that you and I needed someone, an intermediary, I can't even say it, between us and God? We can't come into the presence of a holy God on our own. He's holy and we're sinful. Moses saw his hind parts and uh, he glowed from it. If we'd come into the presence of God in our sin-cursed flesh, it would destroy us. So we need somebody to intercede on our behalf. Well, God done something about that. See, not only did the children of Israel have the presence of God through Moses, we've got the presence of God through the Lord Jesus Christ because God humbled Himself and became obedient unto death. He took upon Himself the form of a servant. I don't know exactly how that happened, how God hid His glory or, or some way put His glory into subjection to the flesh, but that's exactly what happened when He became flesh, born through the womb of a virgin. And now because of that, just like the children of Israel had God's presence with them, that was a privilege they had. We've got the same privilege through the Lord Jesus Christ. So they had... His power, they've witnessed that as He uh, caused them to pass through the Red Sea. All of the, the many wonders he, were, he wrought in Egypt. They had the privilege of God's presence. And look what, not only that, they had God's provision. In verse number 3, And did all eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. Now remember, we're talking all of them. So they were all baptized, they all experienced uh, God's power. They passed through the sea. They all had the presence of God. They all had the provision of God. They eat the same spiritual meat and they did all drink the same spiritual drink. You remember when they were out there in the desert and, uh, you know, there ain't much food made in the desert unless you like to run around and hunt lizards and try to, you know, hold up sand and squeeze water out of it or cut a cactus or something. There ain't much water in food out there. So they got hungry and they got thirsty. It's hot out in the desert. 
But God provided for them, so they experienced the miracle of God's provision. Well, what happened? Moses struck the rock, and literally water began to flow out of that rock so the children of Israel would have water to drink. Excuse me, but not only that. They got hungry. Every day manna would come uh, from heaven and feed them. Now, I don't know exactly what that looked like. It fell from heaven. It fell on the ground. They gathered it up. I do know this, that in faith they weren't supposed to gather up enough to last for day after day after day. They were just supposed to get enough for what they needed that day and breakfast the next morning. And if they got any more, it all rotted and went away because they needed to trust God that he would continue to provide. They experienced that for all of that time out there in the desert. Now, how many of you ever been quail hunting? Come on now, somebody in here has. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's not easy to quail hunt. And you normally don't get enough quail to feed hundreds of thousands of people. Well, the Bible says not only did they experience that, they got the water from the rock, the manna from heaven, but God himself sent quail so that they would have meat to eat. And the children of Israel all got to experience these privileges, these blessings from God. So they all drink the same spiritual drink. They uh, drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. Well, Jesus said it something like this, I'm the bread of life. Whoever drinks of the water that I'll give will never thirst again. You see, Jesus compares himself to water and to bread. So not only do we get to experience his power in us, his presence through the Holy Spirit, but his provision that he gives us what we need for our physical bodies But not only that, he gives us that spiritual bread and that spiritual drink that will feed us through all eternity. John chapter 6, the Bible says, Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse number 34, And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. All drank the same spiritual drink. That was the water that came from the rock after Moses struck that rock in Horeb. They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Now, I don't know how that rock followed them. I do know this. The rock went with them wherever they went just as Jesus goes with us wherever we are. And we can't escape that rock. We can't get away from that rock. If we're his child, he's with us when we're doing what's right, and he's with us when we're doing what's wrong. I heard a preacher say this the other day, and preachers often do this. You'll go, and we was down at the convention, I believe it was, when Shane and I went down there, and they get together and they'll say something like this. How's your church going? And he said, you know, What would be better is to ask ourselves or to ask someone, how's Jesus saved? Church is going. Because it really doesn't matter what we think. Christ is with us everywhere we go. We can't hide anything from him, so it really matters how he thinks about what we're doing and how we're ministering and how we're living. So they had these privileges of God's protection, his presence, his provision. God had delivered all of them from bondage. He had delivered all of them from Pharaoh. He had baptized all of them into his presence through Moses. All of them did eat. All did drink. But look what it says in verse number 5. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. 
for they were overthrown in the desert. All of them being delivered, all of them eating and drinking, all of them experiencing God's presence. But most of them did not please God. Now that's an understatement because you know what that really means when he says most of them? Let me give you some numbers. If you read over in the book of Numbers when they numbered the children of Israel, it was probably, and I say this probably because historically it's hard to get an exact figure, but there was probably something like 600,000 men that came out of Egypt with Moses. Then you add in the women and the children, it was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 or 2 million people, roughly, plus or minus. There was a lot of people that come out of Egypt with Moses with the children of Israel. And he says there, most of them didn't please God. Well, what does most of them mean? Well, most of them means all but two. You know who, who they were? There was Joshua and Caleb were the only two. So when he says most of them didn't please God, that's kind of an understatement. He's making a rhetorical, uh, uh, using uh, methods of, of writing there to, to get us to see just how profound that statement really is. There was only two that did not. Turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. You know the story. They came out. They were wandering in the desert and all of these things and they had seen God's mighty works and all of that. But in Numbers chapter 14, you know, he'd sent the spies into the land and they'd looked everything over and seen how things were going to be going. In Numbers 14, verse number 29, look what God tells them. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness and all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. Now, verse number 5 in 1 Corinthians 10, But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So what happened was, after experiencing all of these great miracles of God, they get out in the desert, they go over there, they spy out the promised land, and really only two of them come back with a good report. And basically everybody else sides with the, big, with the crowd. Well, God says to them, all right, here's what I'm going to do because of that. You've murmured, you've griped, you've complained, you've not trusted me and all of that. So you're going to wander in the desert. And the reason for the wandering in the desert is to give those people time to die off. Because he said, if you're not 20 uh, years or younger than 20 years old, meaning you're not old enough to constantly make your own decision and, and you wasn't old enough to fight in their army, that unless you're younger than 20 years old, you're going to die in the desert and you will not see the promised land. So that highlights the fact that the blessings that God gives us is no guarantee of future blessings. You see, the children of Israel had been blessed above any people before them. But yet, because of their disobedience, they died in the desert and did not see the promised land. Really, the only two people of those original two million or so that came out of Egypt that entered the promised land with Joshua and Caleb who had been obedient to God. So where did they go wrong? What happened to the people of Israel? Well, they crossed that line that God had set uh, for them. So past blessings are no guarantee of 
future blessings. Number two, liberty, our Christian liberty, is not a license to sin. In other words, we could say it like this. Our sins, no matter how we uh, categorize them, are not, not minor in God's eyes. That's what went wrong with the wilderness generation. That's what uh, uh, caused them to be uh, not allowed to go into the promised land. And that's what's wrong with our generation today. You've heard me say this so many times. It's easy for me to look at your sin and see it. Your sin is so glaring to me. But the difficult thing is for me to look into my heart and see my sin and understand what I need to do to get things right. That's why Jesus said over there in the Sermon on the Mount that before we try to pull the speck out of our brother's eye, we ought to get the log out of our own eye. And what God's saying to me in that, Keith, is yes, it may be easy for you to see other people's sin, but you shouldn't worry about other people's sin because those other people are not going to stand in judgment for your sin. It's your sin that you ought to be worrying about and, and living up to the standard that I've set for you. So our sins are not minor. They can really cost us. Our liberty in Christ is not a license to sin. Verse number 6. Now these things were our examples to the intent. We should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. What parent doesn't want their children to learn from their mistakes? And God's saying to us, these things that happened to the children of Israel, you see, they didn't have the Word of God. They didn't have the, uh, uh, the living, uh, breathing sword uh, uh, like we have. So we have these examples, their mistakes, what they did wrong, and we're to use that, uh, those examples. I told you the story that time about my buddy that when we were going to grab onto the electric fence and how we'd made an agreement that we was all going to grab onto that electric fence, right? And when he grabbed on that thing and he screamed like a little girl, then I said, no, I don't think I'll take my turn. Because I learned from his mistake. Well, that's exactly what God's saying here. Look, I've given you these things for an example that you'll learn from the mistakes of, of others. And all of us want that from our children, but we also ought to expect that from ourselves. What happened to the Hebrews should serve as a warning to us. They stuck their foot over the line and it cost them. They died in the wilderness and never saw the promised land. So how did they do that? How did they step over the line? How did they cross over? Well, starting in verse number 6, we find five lines that they crossed over that really cost them. Uh, the Bible says here to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. They thought because they had liberty, because they had experienced the presence, the power, and the provision of God, that they had privileges that no matter what they did, that they would maintain those things and God's hand would always be upon them. But what happened there, those evil things that they lusted after are those things that stand in direct contradiction to God's word. What God has already told us is right. So liberty is not a license to sin. They crossed another line in verse number 7. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And that's a reference there. You know the story, Moses, and they'd been wandering out there in the desert. 
And Moses went up uh, on the mountain and he was going to receive the commandments of God. And they got uh, impatient waiting on Moses. So Aaron was down there and they said to Aaron, Hey, Moses is up there on the mountain. We don't even know if he's going to be coming back. Why don't we get together and pool our gold and make us a golden calf and we'll worship that calf? Well, you know what happened? That's exactly what they did. They got together. They pulled their gold. They made a golden calf. And by the time Moses come off the mountain with the commandments, they were already worshiping that idol. Now, we look at them and we say, man, how crazy them people were. I mean, they took their gold and they made a calf and they began to worship that calf. Them people was a bunch of fools. But if we really look at it, we may be even more foolish at times. At least their idol was made of gold. Often ours is made out of much cheaper stuff than that. I mean, that, as you can see and look around, I brought it out in the message this morning. There's people sitting on their couch right now when they ought to be in the house of God watching TV. And if anything is more important or comes in place of God, it's an idol no matter what it's made out of. People let their children become idols. Their family, their job, their aspirations become idols. It doesn't have to be made out of wood or gold to be an idol. And whatever we place in value above God, we're worshiping that thing, whatever that thing may be. And he says, Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them. Now let me put that and paraphrase it. Don't be like them and let something be of greater value to you than me. God should be our ultimate. And that's what he's saying. Let me be of the highest priority because if anything takes a higher priority than me, it's an idol and you're worshiping that thing. So the people sat down to eat, drink, and they rose up to play. By the time Moses come back off the mountain, I mean they is having a party they was having a good time. And I want to tell you something tonight, church. The, the, the temptation to worship something, uh, to place something in the place of God that's higher than Him in importance to us. Hey, it's going to be fun and it's going to sound fun and it's going to be tempting just like it was to those children of Israel when Moses was up on that mountain. But just like the children of Israel, it leads to destruction and it leads to misery and it leads to the destruction of families, cultures, and nations. So we ask ourselves, what's our golden calf? And what do we need to get rid of? The third line they crossed is in verse number 8. The Bible says, Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Uh, in Numbers 25, this is referencing that. God had given them a clear injunction that they were not to marry outside of their people, their religion, so to speak. They're the Jewish people. They were pagan cultures. They worshipped all kinds of different little gods. And he said, don't have anything to do with them because they'll draw you away. And in Numbers 25, we read that the children of Israel were having sexual relations with the women of Moab. And soon enough, they started bowing down to their gods. And those sexual sins caused them to cross that line of liberty, to step their foot out across the line into the road where danger awaits. One of the greatest tragedies of this last year, uh, 
in my life is to see so many people that I'd held up as heroes uh, lose their ministry because they stepped across that line as it pertained to sexual sins and it cost them everything that they had worked years for. And God's saying to us here, that's going to be a temptation and we need to guard ourselves against that. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and 20,000. And of course over there in Numbers 25, that's what we see happen, that literally God wiped them from off the face of the earth. 23,000 people in one day because they had crossed that line. The fourth line they crossed in verse number 9, look what it says, Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. That's a reference to Numbers 21. The people became discouraged along the way. They were tired of eating uh, manna. They were tired of eating the quail. And they got discouraged. They were complaining about God's provision while they were in the wilderness. They weren't satisfied with His provision. And they tested Him or tempted uh, God. And God responded by sending serpents that bit them and many of them died. Um, here in verse number 9, the Bible says, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. I want to say this before we move on to the next one. I think if there's probably one among these that I'm most guilty of personally, it's that one right there. Of simply not being satisfied with what God's given me and blessed me with. I mean, it's, it's almost the American way, ain't it? Whatever we got, how much more do you want? Just a little bit more. You heard the story about old Rockefeller. I believe that was him and somebody had, at that time. I think he may have been the richest man in the United States. And somebody asked him, well, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. And I'm going to tell you, that's kind of the way the children of Israel were. They weren't satisfied with what God had given them. The quail wasn't good enough. The manna wasn't good enough. The water wasn't good enough. And apparently even the freedom from bondage in Egypt wasn't good enough so they tempted God and God said I've had enough and destroyed them with serpents the other line they crossed this one gets dangerous for a preacher it's in the book so I'm going to have to bring it out neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer a reference to Exodus chapter number 12. Here's what they were murmuring. Not against God, but against the man that God had called to lead them. You see, they got out there in the desert and things wasn't going exactly the way they liked it, even though Moses was following God. I mean, the cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. And when the cloud moved, Moses said, pack up and let's go. When the clouds say still, Moses said, we're going to camp here for a while. When the pillar of fire moved, Moses said, come on, we're going. And when it stayed still, Moses said, all right, we're going to stay here for a little while. And some of them didn't like that. Some of them said, what, Moses, this man that God's placed 
uh, uh, to lead us out of bondage to the promised land. He don't know where he's going. He don't know what he's doing. And the Bible says here that they murmured against him. And what happened? They were destroyed by the destroyer. It's easy for us if we're not careful not to be satisfied with the direction God's taken us. Because just like the children of Israel, sometimes we don't have all the information and don't understand exactly uh, where we may be going. And that's a matter of faith and where faith comes in to the matter that God has placed us where we are right now uh, so that we don't complain and we don't murmur and we don't grumble, but we simply follow God in the direction that He wants us to go. Numbers 14, the Bible says, And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Uh, they were still murmuring over in verse 36. All the congregation murmured against him. In chapter 16 of Numbers, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron. So what did God do? He opened up a sinkhole in chapter 16. And the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up with their households. The lines that they crossed, they were lusting after evil things. They had lapsed into idolatry. They were living in sexual immorality. They were lamenting God's provision. And they were lashing out against the leadership that God had placed for them. I think from this example that we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we can get that old saying, it's cliche, but it's also true. Sin will take us further than we want to go, faster than we want to get to go there and keep us longer than we want to stay. And God says, listen, I give you that as an example that your blessings of the past are no guarantee of future blessings, so don't take the privileges he's given us for granted. Liberty is not a license to sin. Don't take our own sin lightly. But number three, that God's favor falls on the faithful. Look what the Bible says here in verse number 11. Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. In one verse there you have a reference to the past and a reference to the future. Church, God has placed us here in this time, and if we're not careful, we lament the time that we live in. But we must not forget our place in history. That we have this, all of this that happened to the children of Israel as an example. It's written for us to warn us. It's an admonition to us. But we must also understand upon whom the ends of the world are come, meaning we're living in the last days. God has given us a privilege. And they, these people that were there with Moses that he was writing about, there was no chance that they were going to see Christ come in all his glory. But you and I who are living in these last days, the ends of the world are come, are living in a time where not only do we have these past blessings to look upon but we've got the future blessings that one of these days God is going to sound the trumpet and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to step out on a cloud of glory and he's going to say church come on and be with me and everything that we're living in is going to be left behind and we're going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ forever so we must not forget our place in history nothing good will come of our lives if we make the same mistakes they made. 
But God's favor always falls on the faithful. And to those of us who endure to the end until Christ returns or calls us home through the grave, we will experience all the blessings of all eternity that have been laid up through all time uh, for God's children. And that's what he's telling us here in these verses. Those that came out of Egypt considered themselves to be untouchable. We've experienced God's blessing. We've experienced His power, His provision, His presence. Nothing can touch us. So we, in this day, these last days, ought to live in such a way that while we're looking forward to the return of Christ, and do you believe that, don't you? Christ is, He's coming. I mean, we went to bed last night and laid our head down on a pillow, but tonight before we lay our head down, Jesus could say, come on church, be with me, and I'd say that's quite all right. If he does, we're living in that day. And he's saying, be ready when that day comes so that we can face Christ with our heads held high, not being ashamed of how we've lived or lived our lives. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away in shame at his coming. So the question we ask, God's given us these examples. He's given us this as an admonition. Probably the most profound questions. I, I would assume people that were willing to turn off the TV, and, or if you like me and Shane, you ain't got no cable or internet, so you might as well come to church. <laughs> I knew I'd get you to smile. But I'd say, you know, most people come to church on a Sunday night. You know, you come because you believe in something, right? So we've got that settled. But just say, just say for instance, if, you know, we say, okay, it's time to go home, we're going to dismiss. And we started at the back door. And all of a sudden, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that's how the Bible describes it, right? We're out of here. We're in eternity. Eternity's a long time. You say, how long is it, Keith? I don't know, but it's a long time. And in that time, there's time to go over every thought, every attitude, every action, every motive. Could we, with all of that, it's all going to be brought out for the Christian. Listen, it, the, the person who's not in Christ, it's going to be depart from me, you work of iniquity, for I never knew you, and that's the end of it. But for the Christian, it's going to be how did you serve me? So standing before him, we've, we're gone. Are we going to be like First John, where we can stand with our head held high? say, Jesus, I served you with everything that was in me. I guarded my life. I understood that I was living in sin-cursed flesh and I could fall, so I put on the whole armor of God every day. And the way I treated other people, the way I acted when I was alone, the thoughts that went through my mind, what I looked at when nobody else was watching. Well, I'm going to tell you what, knowing that could happen, I wouldn't leave this place tonight without getting it right with God. 
if you're here and you're lost, that don't apply to you. You need to get saved. Because when Christ says, come, you ain't going. He's made a way for you to go. By placing your faith and trust in Him, His death, burial, and resurrection. But in some ways, at least in that way, Believer's going to have to give an account for more than the lost person because he's going to say how did you serve me I'll give you this for an example don't, don't cross the line stay in your lane I'm going to close with this me and Shane the other day we was going down 181 out of Bowman Road no not Bowman Road what's that road across from Bowman Road Carl Freeman Road yeah there's this car comes out of Carl Freeman Road and I mean he don't even slow down well now by the grace of God we back far enough and we saw him coming and he comes flying out of there and he crosses the road and then he's over in this lane and then he's back over running off the road this lane and then he's back off the road in this lane I say that to say this when we stay in the lane that God has given us it's really the only safe place to be because not only was he endangering his life when he got out of the lane but he's putting everybody on the road in danger so God tells us this not only for our own safety but for the safety of everybody around us just stop and think if somebody daddy or mama in Israel would have said nope we're not going that way we're going to stay in the lane God said now that mean everybody in Israel might have got saved and seen, been able to see the promised land no could have been a family though might have been a husband a wife children grandchildren I don't know but when we stay in the lane that God set for us it's always the safest place Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And God, I pray tonight that as we have opened up your word and read it, Lord, you know, 1 Corinthians is it's a tough one. But God, you'd help us to examine our lives. Lord, any place, any time, any action, attitude, thought even, Lord, that where we've gotten out of the lane, help us to realize it. God, you give us plenty of examples. We are not lacking in il illustrations of what that means. So, Lord, help us to identify it and get back in the lane. That's the safest place to be. And then, Lord, just like you told the Corinthians, that the blessings and goodness of God is most seen in those who are faithful. So, Lord, when Jesus returns, May you find us, your people here at Zion Baptist Church, faithful. In his name we pray. Amen.